I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwein, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwein, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the One Woman Book Club podcast. I'm your host, Grace, and this is a podcast where we talk about all things book and author news, my current reads and updates from me, and discuss a quarter of our monthly book club pick. This is our first episode for March, and this is the first episode where we'll be discussing All the Dangerous Things by Stacey Willingham. So as a reminder, you should have read up to chapter 14 for today's episode. And let me just say, I genuinely have so much to talk about this book already. I am seriously loving it so far. It started off with a bang, like there is so many potential theories and potential like little mysteries going on throughout the book. So I am just so, so excited to discuss it with you guys today. I am recording this actually on Sunday, which is just the day before that it has to go up. I was super, super busy on Friday afternoon, which is when I typically record. So I couldn't record it on Friday and then went out with my friends on Friday night. Yesterday, I was just a loaf on the couch, like literally didn't do anything. And it was a massive snowstorm here in Maine. We're right on the coast in Portland, and it said we were going to get eight to 12 inches. It's hard to say how much we actually got. I would say probably probably around eight. Um, so huge snowstorm. Didn't leave the house yesterday at all. Probably would have been a good time to record, but I was really lazy. And so today, Sunday, I was like, I got to sit down and record this episode so I can put it up tomorrow for you guys. But it's a perfect lazy Sunday activity, just sitting here chatting about books. I'm honestly in a way more relaxed position than I usually am. I'm like laying down on my bed, relaxed with my microphone. So if I seem a little more chill today, that's probably why I'm just more in like a relaxed mood getting in and ready for the week. Last week was pretty good for me. We've released the Mary Cubica episode of the podcast. And if you haven't listened to that, please be sure and give that a listen. It was so much fun to record and edit and everything. Noelle and I had a blast also talking about just the nicest couple. And a lot of you guys had messaged me saying you liked having a guest on for the final episode, just so that I can banter like back and forth with my guest. And it's perfect like to start with a friend like that. So I think I'll probably have a few more friends on as, you know, the months progress. I haven't really decided what the final episode for all the dangerous things is going to be like yet. But if you have any suggestions, let me know. I'm definitely open to them. But if you haven't had a chance to listen to that final episode, I put it out last Thursday. And it's our final discussion of just the nicest couple into the very end. 
friend. I have Mary Kubica on. And let me just say that interview process was so fun. Mary is like so down to earth, so genuine, so easy to talk to. So I loved that conversation so much. And the only thing I was like, why did I not ask her this? I did not ask her who she thought the prologue was from the perspective of. And I'm like I said, I met up with my friends on Friday night. And one of my friends who read the book with me, Alex, was like, why didn't you ask her about the prologue? I really thought you were going to ask her because that was such a big thing that I talked about throughout the episodes for Just the Nicest Couple. And it was I just literally completely forgot it. So I was pretty annoyed with myself afterwards. But I think we can deduce that it was Jake. In my mind, I am just thinking that it was Jake. So that's just what we're going with. But Anyway, if you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode, like I said, it's really fun. So give that a listen for sure. This week in my personal life, you know, a little bit of a stressful, like anxious sort of week for whatever reason. I'm a worrier. So I worry about random little things in my life and blow them out of proportion, like just work stuff and all of that. So I've had a little bit of an anxious week, but um, got through it. That's why I'm trying to really keep it relaxed and chill today um, and just have this as kind of like an outlet just to chat about books and be happy. But I'm going into next week very positive and with all the good vibes, honestly. As far as reading goes, I know I talked about this in last week's episode very briefly, but I was able to finish up We Are the Brennans by Tracy Lang. Is it Lange? Lang. It's L-A-N-G-E. If you know, let me know. But I finished that before February was up on February 28th, and I loved it. And I did put it as my favorite book of the month. I don't know what it was. There was something about it that just really, really appealed to me. I absolutely loved the writing style. I loved all the different characters. I thought it was mysterious enough, but also I loved the romance element um, between Sunday and Kale. I thought it was so good, so well done. And the whole time I was just thinking like, why isn't this a movie yet? Like this absolutely needs to be a movie. It was perfect. And I'm really proud of myself because it's one that's been on my TBR for over a year, well over, like probably since 2021. So I don't know what made me want to pick it up. I was looking for like a family drama and it was amazing. I gave it five stars and it was actually my only five star read of February. Read five books, The Housemaid, Memphis, Just the Nicest Couple, We Are the Brennans and Georgie All Along. Super happy to see that a lot of you guys who read Just the Nicest Couple for the book club and just my friends on bookstagram gave it five stars. It wasn't quite five stars for me. It was four, like I said last week, but still an amazing thriller. But We Are the Brennans just totally took the cake for me. I thought it was so good, so well done. And honestly, it's a perfect read for March because it's about this big like Irish family living in New York and just all the drama. There's a lot of drama going on. Don't want to give anything away, but there's a lot of plots, a lot of moving pieces, and you just really root for this family in this small town. But other than that, unfortunately, I have not started another book yet this month. Actually, that's a lie. I did briefly start One by One by Ruth Ware because I was looking for like a secluded, locked door, stuck inside cabin sort of thriller, which is exactly what One by One is. It's about this group of people who get stuck at this like luxury cabin like resort and they all just start dying, (laughs) start getting murdered. And I might pick that up again, but I might not. I don't know. I feel like I'm in a bit of a reading slump, you guys. Like, I don't know. I think it's when I'm like stressed out about things like in my personal life or if I'm feeling anxious. Sometimes it can go either way for me. Like sometimes escaping into a good book is like all I want to do. And I did notice when I was reading all the dangerous things for this episode, I was like, oh, it feels so good to read. But then other times my mind just like really wanders too much. And all I want to do is like watch reality television (laughs) and just like shut my mind off completely so I don't have to think. So I feel like I'm definitely in a bit of a reading slump. I have a million and half books that I want to pick up and start reading, but I can't get myself to like pick one up and read it. I don't know what's going on. It happens to me sometimes, especially like I said, like when I'm stressed out. Basically, one of the main causes of my stress right now is I'm going on this amazing trip to Punta Cana in April and um, sent in my passport expedited 
at the beginning of February. They got it on February 1st and it's been in process ever since. And my boyfriend got his back and I'm just waiting on mine. And I just find things that are out of my control. I just like obsess over them and like can't get it out of my mind. And so this has just been a stress for me this week, just being like, oh my God, when is it coming? Like not really having anyone to like call or talk to because like they're so busy, obviously. So that's been my main cause of stress. And I know that if that's my main cause of stress, I'm doing okay because I know I have plenty of time for it to arrive and keep telling myself that like not to worry and stress about things that are out of my control. But it's just constantly it is living rent free in my brain that I need to get that passport. So let me know if you've been through anything like that similarly. But I'm hoping to start a bunch of books this week. I want to finish a book this week for sure that isn't for the book club. So if one by one doesn't work out, it's seeming a little cheesy for me right now. And I don't know if I want, I don't know if I want a thriller at the moment. I almost find like it's hard to read thrillers when I'm reading a thriller for the podcast, if that makes sense. Like two thrillers going on at once is a lot for my brain to handle. So I'm not sure what I'm going to start. One thing I want to talk about is if you were following along with my reviews or anything that I'm talking about here on the podcast, you know that I read The Housemaid by Frieda McFadden last month. And The Housemaid's Secret came out, I think, in February. Had no idea that the sequel was coming out that fast. I don't know if I've talked about this yet already, but I am like, I'm genuinely really excited to pick it up because everyone is saying it's amazing and you don't have to have read The Housemaid to read The Housemaid's Secret. And I guess Frieda McFadden is a new author for me too. I hadn't really heard about Frieda McFadden in general until The Housemaid. So I need to pick that up. That's on my list. But that's just something that came to my mind. I'm looking at my bookshelf right now as I record. And I'm like, oh, yeah, The Housemaid. Need to talk about The Housemaid's secret. But we do have our book of the month choices out this month. And everyone was super, super excited with the choices, including me. So I want to talk to you guys a little bit about book of the month, like I promised last week. So if you're not familiar with Book of the Month, it is a book subscription service and you pay $16 a month and you get one book every single month to choose from. They give you, I believe, five actual books of the month to choose from and then you can pick up to three. So you have to pick one of their main Book of the Month choices and then you can do add-ons. They also release some new add-ons every single um, month as well. And then add-ons are an additional I believe $10.99 a piece, I want to say. And it's a really, really great service. And if you go to my Instagram bio at Grace's Reading Nook, you click the link in the link tree. If you click one of the links in there, you'll be able to get your first book from Book of the Month for just $5, which is an amazing deal. And March is genuinely an amazing, 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 I keep saying it. It's an amazing time to sign up because there were so many great choices that I will talk to you guys about right now. The first book was a fantasy called The Adventures of Amina Al-Sarafi by Shannon Chakraborty. And this is a fantasy, which is kind of interesting for Book of the Month. I feel like they don't really typically include a lot of fantasies. The quick take for this book says... This swashbuckling pirate captain's last hurrah will have you clutching for your spyglass ready to hit the high seas. It's 400 plus pages. It's action packed. It's the first in a series and it's a quest. The cover for this looks absolutely beautiful. However, fantasies aren't really my thing. I just have a really hard time sometimes with world building and getting really lost in um, the wording of things and I just I get a little lost. So it wasn't for me, but I'm really excited to see more fantasy options for people that enjoy that. The next one is a gothic fiction, The London Seance Society by Sarah Penner. I believe she wrote The Lost Apothecary, which was a huge hit. Another one that I haven't read, which I feel bad about. She's a repeat author on Book of the Month, which is cool. And this cover is also amazing. So the quick take here is, yep, from the author of The Lost Apothecary, a gothic fable teeming with mystery and occult forces where no one can be trusted. It has LGBTQ plus themes. It's international. It's a whodunit sort of book. And it is glamorous, it says. This one honestly looks beautiful and sounds amazing. And looking back, I probably would have added it. Um, But I kind of want to read The Lost Apothecary first to see if I'm interested in this author to see if she kind of like 
works for my reading style. Um, and I'm sure she would because I've heard nothing but good things about The Lost Apothecary. But that's another one of the options. One other option was The Soulmate by Sally Hepworth. And this is a thriller and it's an early release. Sometimes Book of the Month is able to release books that haven't even come out to the public yet, which is amazing. Um, and I did pick this one up because for a thriller, I mean, I hate to, I say that a lot, but sometimes thrillers are really hard. I feel like to get really good reviews on Goodreads or Bookstagram or anything because we're all so jaded. I talked about this last week a little bit with the twists that come and like, oh my gosh, that's been done before. I'm bored, blah, blah, blah. This one is getting really, really good reviews. So it says, when an old acquaintance dies, it dredges up demons of the past that threaten to unravel a seemingly perfect marriage, psychological, sad, rural, and marriage issues. Getting really, like really good reviews. Um, And so this is one, I know I talked about this again, like last month, but I had opened up another book of the month account just in case I wanted to get a book, a a fourth book. And I did get four books this month. And I know that they opened up the option to be able to get five books in boxes for some people. I got the email that said I could, but when I went to add the fourth book to my cart on my main book of the month account, it wouldn't let me. And there were some discussions. I'm a part of some like book of the month, like fan clubs and stuff on Facebook. And there were some discussions that people thought that if you had some credit stored up from book of the month, which I did, they didn't give you the five book option. I don't know the, the, truth in all of that. But anyway, I got the soulmate in my second box. And I'm really excited about it. That one sounds really good. Then a horror book called Lone Women by Victor Laval. In this disquieting story, a woman fleeing past sins attempts to forge a new life homesteading Montana's harsh plains. There are social issues, LGBTQ plus themes, graphic violence, and it is Western. It looks kind of creepy. The the cover is like very disturbing and I love a horror. So another one that I probably would have picked up if I hadn't already gotten four. <laughs> another. So there are more than five. I don't know how many there typically are, but I have three more to talk about from the main picks. Um, this one is historical fiction and it's called The Last Russian Doll by Kristen Loesch. L-O-E-S-C-H. The quick take is, this epic story weaves one family's tragic splintering into the larger tapestry of Russia's turbulent 20th century. It's emotional. It's a family drama. It's a non-linear timeline and forbidden love. Very cool. Very interesting. Then there was Rootless, which is a contemporary fiction by Crystal Zara Apia. An unexpected pregnancy pushes a married couple into a raw and emotional exploration of what it is they truly want. It's a heavy read. It's a slow build. There are marriage issues and it's mama drama, it says on Book of the Month. Some of those are pretty cringy and cheesy, but they're fun anyway. Um, Sounds really good. The cover is beautiful. I love all the colors and I love marriage drama and family drama. So that honestly sounds right up my alley. But in my main box, what I got for my book of the month was Wayward, which is a magical realism book by Amelia Hart. Guys, the cover for this book is absolutely stunning. It is so beautiful. The quick take is, in Ode to the Natural World and Female Power, this lush generation-spanning novel is equal parts daring and inspiring. Multiple viewpoints, feminist, magical, and nature. And their highlighted author that says why they love this book is Sarah Addison Allen, who is the author of Other Birds and a million other novels I know. But I loved Other Birds this year, and I'm getting more into magical realism It's different, obviously, from fantasy because it just has those like magical elements in a typical fiction book. I'm really, really loving magical realism. Other Birds was like that. I loved um, Spells for Forgetting. I loved A History of Wild Places was like that. Um, So I'm really enjoying books like that recently. And then in my main box, I got two of the add-ons. One of the add-ons wasn't a new one. Um, It was one from a couple of months ago, but it's one that I almost got when I went to Barnes & Noble on my birthday. But then I remembered it was from Book of the Month too. So I was like, I'll wait and add it to a box recently. And it's a literary fiction called The Shards by Brett Easton Ellis. 
Um, and the quick take is Brett Easton Ellis's thrilling latest is two parts 80s LA, one part serial killer at large with a dash of prep school drama. It's 400 plus pages. Yeah, it arrived, guys. It is massive. It's in the 80s. It's a famous author and an unreliable narrator. He wrote American Psycho. So he's pretty famous. And I'm a, I was a huge, huge, huge fan of The Secret History. It's like the perfect, um, dark academia novel. And I've heard the shards is similar to that, but um, set in the 80s and just kind of a little more modern. So I it just it really appealed to me. And I read the first page in Barnes and Noble, like I said, on my birthday, and I was like, Oh, this sounds so good. I like was immediately drawn to it. So I'm excited about that one. And then lastly, this month, I got Hello Beautiful by Anne Napolitano. It's a literary fiction, and it is gorgeous. The cover is so beautiful. And it says we all may contain multitudes, but sometimes it takes the help of friends and found family to see beauty in our layers. It's emotional, inspirational, underdog and siblings. I love a story about found family and friendships and sibling relationships. And I also have Dear Edward by Anne Napolitano on my TBR. It's one I got I believe at the end of 2021, it's been sitting on my bookshelf for a long time, but I'm really excited and people seem to be loving this one. If I had room, I would have gotten more. I would have gotten I Have Some Questions for You by Rebecca Mackay. It's a literary fiction and it says, twisty as your fave true crime podcast and full of hard questions about power. This is no ordinary boarding school tale. Literally sounds right up my alley. And then another add-on they had was Pineapple Street by Jenny Jackson. It's a literary fiction debut. And it says Brooklyn's 1% is put under the microscope in this sharp, vibrant exploration of what happens to a trust fund deferred. And that's getting amazing, amazing reviews. So this month was just really an amazing book of the month month, I could have chosen like 10 of the books with between the main books and the add ons. So if you are not a member, definitely head over to my Instagram Grace's Reading Nook, click the link in my bio and find the link for book, book of the month that will get you your first book from them for $5. One more thing I want to talk about before we get into all the dangerous things for this week is I got the most beautiful care package PR package from Kristen Higgins this week. She's the author of Pack Up the Moon. And she saw that I talked about Pack Up the Moon on the news on the hub today um, in February. And she wanted to send me a copy of her new book, which comes out in June. It's called A Little Ray of Sunshine. And she personally sent me a package that includes the arc of the book, the advanced reader copy, and all sorts of stuff that means it's going to be a book where I cry my eyes out. She sent me like a pack of tissues, um, a bar of chocolate, clear eyes for my eyes for when I'm crying. And it was just the most sweet and thoughtful package that I've gotten from an author on Bookstagram. So thank you so much, Kristen. I'm going to talk about that on my um, Instagram this week. But the book sounds amazing. So it's called A Little Ray of Sunshine, like I said, comes out in June. And it says Harlow Smith thought she had finally achieved the quiet life she wanted a little bookstore on Cape Cod, an apartment in her grandpa's house, a more or less happily single life when the biggest secret from her past walked into town and changed everything. Okay, a little bookstore on Cape Cod, say no more more. I am so excited to read it. So thank you so much, Kristen. I just had to say thank you on my podcast as well. So without further ado, let's get into our discussion of all the dangerous things by Stacey Willingham for our first chunk of the book for the book club this week. Like I mentioned, are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. 
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. At the beginning of the episode, you should have read up to chapter 14 for this week's episode. And if not, please stop listening because we will be talking about some spoilers and some potential theories. So just be careful. If you don't care and you just want to listen anyway totally fine, but listen at your own risk. So let me start by saying I was so excited about how this book started out. I am immediately enthralled and just genuinely the biggest word I can think of is excited. So let me pull up my notes here. And as always, I go through my own notes first, chapter by chapter. And then once I'm done talking about what I'm thinking, I did do some poll questions this week. So we'll go over what you guys were thinking about the book so far as well. All right, so in the prologue, we have another prologue, but it seems way more cut and dry. We learn that our main character hasn't slept in a full year and that her son Mason was taken from her a full year ago. So we're a year from that big crime that happened. In chapter one, I said I was really intrigued already, and there is a lot to dive into. It seems as though our main character, Isabel Drake, is a keynote speaker at some sort of a true crime event that we don't know like what it technically is yet. Um, so that makes us believe that she's done a lot of press in the year since her son died. One point that was already creepy, honestly, is that she noticed a fan, if you can say fan in this sort of a sense, wearing a t-shirt with the names of serial killers on it, almost like a band tee. Um, and another audience member was mouthing the words to her story as she told it. So I just found that like a really interesting way to start the book because it really says something about the true crime community. And I would consider myself a member and I hate to say the word fan, but a fan of true crime and a member of the true crime community. Um, my mom was obsessed with true crime when I was growing up and I didn't get it. I was like, why are you watching all this stuff? Like she was obsessed with like the Scott Peterson case, I remember, and like Casey Anthony. And I just didn't get how she could like listen to all this stuff all the time. But now as an adult, I am just like her. And I listen to true crime stuff all the time. And I think a lot of us do for some reason. I don't know why. But it really does make you think about how we really trivialize these cases and forget that it's actually happening to like real people. So I thought that was an interesting take. And it's interesting to hear about when you're reading a true crime book. And it just kind of starts out with talking about how we trivialize true crime. So I thought that was interesting. In chapter two, we learn that Isabel was speaking at something called True Crime Con, and we get her inner thoughts as she struggles with her inability to sleep in over a year while looking at other people on her flight back home to Atlanta. Um, I personally got the sense that she seems to be a heavy drinker, um, which seems to just be a recurring theme in thrillers for some reason, which is a whole other thing I could talk about, but it seems like so many female protagonists in thrillers have a drinking problem. It happens in Riley Sager's books all the time. And I feel like it happens in thrillers just like a lot. But she asked the flight attendant for a soda water before the plane even took off so she could put a nip of vodka into it. So just just a side note. Um, seated next to her on the plane is a true crime podcaster who attended the convention and wants to have her on his podcast to talk to her. And he says to her, that's why she speaks, right? To keep the case alive. But Isabel isn't very convinced that she wants to talk on it yet. In chapter three, we get an even deeper view into just how serious Isabel's insomnia is. And I can already tell it's going to be just a huge, huge plot point. There's a lot going on with her sleep. There's a lot of talk and mention about her sleep. So that's going to be a recurring thought. 
Um, We find that it's just her and her dog Roscoe living at home, though we do get a mention of a previous husband named Ben when Isabel talks about visiting a a therapist after her son went missing. Um, She says the night he went missing was really just like any other night, and she wishes she could remember more details like what book she read Mason and little things like that. Um, We also learn she has a huge detective-style wall in her dining room with potential perpetrators. Like I'm picturing, you know, pieces of paper with strings tied to them like we see in the movies all the time. So she's turned her dining room into an almost like true crime sort of hub about her son's case. It's only been a year, so it makes sense, but clearly her life is just fully revolving around the case and finding her son. In chapter four, it's a then, so it's a flashback chapter, which I love. Um, We see Isabel with her sister, Margaret, when she was young. And apparently, Isabel used to have a problem with sleepwalking, something that her husband, Ben, started to reference in the last chapter. And so in this chapter, we learn she doesn't know how often she sleepwalks or why, just that it's been happening frequently. And she's been typically sleepwalking and going into her sister's room, and her sister, Margaret, is six. And at the end, we see Isabel realize there, there's a trail of dirt leading from her bedroom door to the bed, making us think maybe she even sleepwalked outside at one point, the marsh, which she constantly is talking about the marsh outside her house. It's kind of like a huge plot point almost. Um, so she, we're thinking maybe that she's been sleepwalking to the marsh, which again, it's been brought up quite frequently. So just something to think about. In chapter five, we're back in the present day. We learned that in exchange for speaking at these events like True Crime Con, Isabel doesn't ask to be paid. She only asks for a list of the attendees so that she can search them in her records to see if anything is fishy. Like if anything, like if she's searching for a guy who attended his name and maybe he's, you know, been charged with a crime in the past year, she would maybe submit that to the police. So as a side note, I just found this whole thing very interesting. It kind of hit close to home because I work in events for my job. And I am constantly dealing with like speaker fees, how to get them hotel rooms and flights and sponsors and attendee lists like all day long. So I'm like, oh, man, Isabel, I don't know if we'd be able to actually give you the attendee list if you were attending one of our events, but just a funny side note. Um, then her husband or ex-husband Ben comes home and we realize he doesn't live at the house anymore and they have separated. So it's officially been a year since Mason was taken. It's the day of the like the year anniversary. We learn that Ben doesn't approve of Isabel speaking and thinks it looks bad and I'm going to be honest, I'm a little bit on Ben's side here. Um, I did think it was sort of weird that she did that and like spoke at a keynote, but I truly obviously can't imagine what I would be doing in her shoes. I'm sure I would be going genuinely insane. Like I talked about my worried mind and my anxiety just with waiting for my passport to come this week. I can't even imagine if something like this was happening to me. I'm sure I would do absolutely anything to try to get answers. So thinking about it from that way, I I understand that she is doing whatever she can. We also learn that Ben is seeing someone new and Isabel is still not sleeping well or at all. In chapter six, we get a flashback to when Isabel and Ben first met. I loved this chapter. I thought it was so well done and just so like eerie and spooky and just fun. Um, Isabel had just moved to Savannah to start a job at the Grit magazine, which is a place she dreamt of working since she was really young. And she goes out by herself one night, try to meet some new friends, some new people. And she met Ben. When she was out at the bar, she literally bumped into him and they get to talking and flirting and we get two little hints about things that are probably going to come back up later. Isabel doesn't want to talk much about her sister, Margaret. So I was wondering why and I'm already getting some theories floating around in my head, but no elaboration there. She just did not want to talk about Margaret. And then Ben says he's a a writer of sorts himself, but doesn't elaborate on the type. And that also seemed a little bit odd to me. Then Isabel kissed Ben, but realized he didn't really kiss her back, ran to the bathroom, and when she gets back, he's gone. Just ghosted her. She kissed him. She felt like they were flirting, having fun, got up to go to the bathroom. When she got back, he left. Super, super weird. In chapter seven, Isabel reads a news story about her keynote speech, and we see in the comments the mixed opinions people have of her and her speaking at these events. And we hear her internal dialogue of being so upset people think she may have had something to do with it. She mentioned Casey Anthony here, and just people are like comparing her to someone like Casey Anthony, and she's just shocked by that. We also learned that Ben is pretty positive that Mason is dead, and Isabel just won't come to that conclusion. And she's only doing all of this because she needs 
some sort of an answer. In chapter eight, it's a flashback chapter. And this is again, like very creepy, um, just really eerie. We learn that the house Isabel grew up in is a mansion that used to be a hospital for Union soldiers, most likely where some died and potentially were even buried in their backyard, which is super creepy. Um, We learn that their mom is a painter who has the whole third floor as her studio. And Isabel is making Margaret her sister an omelet when their mom comes downstairs and asks Margaret about her doll. And she says something like she wishes her girls could stay babies forever too, like just like the doll. It was just really eerie and creepy. The mom is giving me like really freaky vibes for some reason, just not getting good vibes all around from the mom or from those then chapters. Um, In chapter nine, we're back in the present day. Isabel is walking to a candlelit vigil for Mason because it's been a year since his disappearance. They're just trying to garner more attention and, you know, get answers in this case. They're going to have a vigil in the town. And another really cool, interesting chapter on the way, she noticed she's walking near a cemetery she used to see from her office at the Grit. And we kind of get a flashback to her first day working at the magazine. We get an internal thought from her that says she doesn't like to think back to the time where she worked at the Grit because she gave all of it up and how she messed everything up. And it was just all of those opportunities in front of her were gone so quickly and like her dream died. So what happened there? Like she was clearly so excited in the flashback we got a couple chapters ago. So I'm wondering what happened at the Grit magazine. Then we see her get to the vigil and meet with a lead detective who is clearly annoyed that she's been doing her own detective work. So there's some animosity there for sure. But he clearly doesn't really have any leads of his own right now either. So Isabel's clearly going to just keep doing what she's doing. In chapter 10, Ben and Isabel get through the vigil together and we hear that Isabel's parents aren't there. Ben asks if her parents are coming and Isabel says no and again doesn't really elaborate. So we know that her parents are alive, but nothing else really there. Um, Detective Dozer Dozier, that's the detective's name, warned her not to do anything drastic at the vigil. We don't know what that's referring to. Maybe she's like had some outbreaks in the past, Um, but she doesn't. She stays pretty calm throughout the whole thing. And then afterwards, Isabel runs into Casey, who's the woman who we saw give her a tour on her first day of work at the Grit magazine. And Casey says they all miss her so much, but Isabel says that can't be true since it's been seven years since she left. That's crazy. It's been seven years since she left the Grit. And I personally can't imagine running into a coworker from seven years ago and them saying how much they miss me still in the office, especially if she left like kind of on bad terms, which it seems like. She said that her and Ben were together for seven years, so she couldn't have worked at the Grit magazine for more than a year either. So just interesting like that timeline. I'm sure we're going to get a lot more information and I do have some theories about what's going on, but I can get to that later. Um, And then Casey asks her to get a drink at a place they had their work Christmas party at only two months into Isabel's employment there, but Isabel declines. Um, Casey says she's always there if she doesn't want to go through this alone. So everyone knows that Isabel is just kind of like in a bad spot, not really doing well, all of that. Chapter 11 was a packed chapter, even though it was short. We learned that Ben was the editor of The Grit, and that's the sort of writer he was or he is. And that's why he was very weird at the bar and he got up and left. And also he was wearing gloves that night. First of all, why? Like, I don't think Atlanta like gets that cold to wear gloves. Correct me if I'm wrong. And Isabel now sees in the office that he's wearing a wedding ring. So he's married. Another reason I'm sure he just got up and walked away super creepy. So at this point, I'm sensing an affair coming and that's probably going to get her fired. That's my theory, but I'm sure we'll learn more about that. And then Isabel goes to a church to sit and unwind before losing track of time and realizes the church is closing. And the woman working there lets her know there's a group that meets on Mondays for grief. And Isabel goes there before walking out sooner than she walked in. Um, Then as she goes to her car, she feels in her purse for her keys and finds Waylon Spencer's business card from the podcast and she decides to send him an email. So we're going to get some more Waylon Spencer drama. It seems like Isabella is interested in being a part of the podcast. Chapter 12 is a flashback chapter and we get Isabel and Margaret having a tea party with the huge massive statues outside the mansion. So weird that there's like big statues outside of their home, but there are. And we notice how um, Isabel is very protective of Margaret. And she thinks at one point about cutting a hole in her stomach and putting Margaret inside. Kind very creepy, but just really we get a sense of how maternal Isabel is with Margaret. And then Margaret tells Isabel she noticed the footprints inside her room from 
the last part where Isabel was sleepwalking. And she asks her if she goes outside when she sleepwalks. And Isabel said she doesn't know. And Margaret asks if she can't sleep normal because of what happened. And Isabel says they're not supposed to talk about that. And then Isabel has a flashback to trying not to be caught, seeing her dad pacing with a bottle of brown liquor and her mom splayed on white sheets stained with red. Super creepy. No more information. I'm wondering if there was like some sort of a miscarriage, if she sleepwalks because she like saw that happening or if maybe the dad like hurt the mom in some way. Is it something to do with her painting? Just all around really, really creepy. So in the last chapter we read, Back to Current Days, we see a commenter comment on the story from the keynote again. She's back to looking at that new story. The commenter said, we all know about her past. What does that mean? Very weird. Um, Isabel meets Waylon at a bar. And again, when he asks about her past, she does not want to talk about it. Nothing about it at all. Then she reviews the night of the disappearance again, how a window was open in Mason's room. She was sure she'd closed, how she used to be a very, very heavy sleeper, how the batteries in the baby monitor were dead, how she didn't check up on him until 8 a.m. but woke up at 6 a.m. And she touches on all of this mom guilt she has and really how she can't blame herself because it was just a normal day. Like all of these things clearly shouldn't have added up to her son being taken, clearly. Um, she mentions that his stuffed animal dinosaur was found in the marsh by the home. And and I thought that was kind of interesting because in a few chapters previous, we saw a woman leaving a, a stuffed dinosaur at the vigil. So I don't know if that's just like common information, um, but no other evidence besides that dinosaur was found. And then at the end, she mentions this feeling that she has that her mother used to talk about, which is similar to deja vu, that she knows something, but she just can't remember what it is. Okay, guys, there is so much going on here, like so much to dissect, like so much to really be thinking about. It's crazy. So um, I was really, really blown away by those chapters. I was already really hooked and needed to read more. I said, I am loving the mix of current times, flashbacks in the past, like then chapters. There are so many timelines going on, but it's not confusing at all, which I love. Um, I have so many questions. So first of all, what happened in Isabel's childhood? Is Margaret dead? I am getting the sense that Isabel had something to do with a potential death of her sister, Margaret, to do with the sleepwalking and to do with the marsh. Those are just all things that are popping up in my head. What about the bloody sheets? Was Isabel sleepwalking? What potentially killed Margaret, I said? And that's what I'm thinking. Thinking something to do with the sleepwalking has hurt or killed her sister. And the bloody sheets, I can't be sure. My first thought is potentially a miscarriage. And then what about Isabel's job at the grit? Why was she only there for a short amount of time? Again, I'm thinking this has to do with her having an affair with Ben and then getting found out and then Ben having to fire her or her having to leave on her own because he doesn't want to get in trouble and have there be like a conflict of interest. And then her dreams are dead because of this man or she gets pregnant, something like that. That's just what I'm thinking. Side note, again, I really, I loved the story that Isabel shared about how she got the job at the grit by writing the story about the dolphin pushing her dead baby calf around. And it was just so, so heartbreaking and just such like a metaphor. And it just, it really spoke to the grief that Isabel is going through and just needing to just constantly, constantly be thinking about her son, Mason. Um, the fact that she wrote that article before even knowing what would happen with Mason is just so eerie and so devastating. And then I said, what about Ben being married before Isabel. Very odd. I'm sure we're going to get more of a sense of what happened there. And then where are Isabel's parents now? They're clearly alive because Ben asked if they would be at the vigil, but he did not ask about Margaret, which again makes me think that Margaret's probably dead. That's just what I'm thinking. And then who is Waylon? Waylon Spencer, this podcaster. And how did he just randomly get seated next to her on the plane? Like, seems like too much of coincidence to me. And what does he really want from this interview? And of course, the whole like point of this book, what happened to Mason? Is Isabel involved without even knowing she's involved because of a potential sleepwalking incident? I think no, personally, just because I think we're going to get it revealed that Isabel probably killed her sister Margaret by the sleepwalking, something like that. And I think it would just be too much of a coincidence if Mason was also killed that way. But I think that that's like the red herring that we're supposed to be thinking that, but I don't think that's true. There's just so much going on and I am genuinely loving it. There's the original mystery of Mason, but then just so much more to uncover. So I am just seriously, seriously loving it. 
So let's get into what you guys were thinking about and talking about when I did my polls for this week. Are you reading all the dangerous things for the book club this month? 80% of you said yes. So super exciting. I'm so glad that so many of you guys are reading along with me. So thank you so much to everyone who is here reading. I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am. And I asked, if so, where are you in the book? 14% of you said you were up to chapter 14 for Monday's episode. Hope that's gone up since now. Um, chap- um, 16% of you said that you had started reading it, but deducing that you hadn't gotten up to chapter 14 yet. 33% of you said you haven't started slash haven't gotten it yet. Then 37% of you said you had already finished the book. We have a lot, a lot of speedy readers in the house this month. So that's another thing. I talked to my friends about it on Friday when I saw them. And one of my friends, Alex, again, um, was going to be reading All the Dangerous Things for the podcast. And she said she finished it so, so quickly. And she mentioned she think it, thinks it'd be a good idea to have two books a month. And it just keeps coming back up. Like so many people have already finished the book before the first episode is even out. So I can't really do two books for April because I'm going away on a vacation. So it'd just be too much. So I'm thinking for May would potentially be the first month we do two books. So just keep that in mind. But we got some speedy readers this month. Then I said, I'm noticing a lot of mystery involving Isabel's sister, Margaret, and her family. Do you think something fishy is going on? And 100% of you said yes. So we're all on the same page there. And then I had a few of you, um, I said elaborate, a few of you gave some additional responses there. The first one said, I think Margaret has seen Isabel do something while sleepwalking before. Very true, very creepy, and something I hadn't thought about. Maybe Margaret is keeping more like close to her chest about what she's seen Isabel do while she's sleepwalking. Like maybe Margaret is following Isabel out to the marsh and like doesn't want to say anything because she like trusts her big sister. Or maybe Margaret saw Isabel like do something to their mom while she was sleepwalking and that's the bloody sheets. Because clearly Margaret knows what happened that night because she said, is it because of what happened? And Isabel says, we're not supposed to talk about that. So very good point and something that I I hadn't really even elaborated on. So very cool. Then um, someone said, Eloise was another sister and something happened to her. The mom's reaction seemed odd. So true. Something I didn't talk about and kind of mentioned was when Margaret and Isabel were downstairs for breakfast and Isabel was cooking Margaret that omelet. When the mom came downstairs and was like, I want my girls to stay babies forever. The mom asked the name of Margaret's baby doll and she said, Eloise. Oh, there's a connection. There we go, you guys. I kept thinking miscarriage for some reason. And maybe the mom had the miscarriage with the bloody sheets and the baby's name was going to be Eloise. Or did Isabel hurt the mom? And like something with the baby happened and the baby was going to be Eloise, but really, really good point. Or maybe not the miscarriage. Maybe Eloise was just like another older sister. Yeah, her reaction though, for sure, for sure seemed odd. So very good picking up on that. And then another one, same girl actually said, Isabel maybe committed a crime while sleepwalking, hurt a family member, etc. Totally agree. I think that's definitely where we're going with this one. So I think we're all on the right track. Then I got one that said, Isabel killed her sis in her sleepwalking state and her parents hid the truth. Totally agree. We're all on the same page. Something is going on with Isabel sleepwalking. And I think that people are going to start thinking that she did something to Mason because of the sleepwalking too. So... Oh, just so creepy. Then I asked, what do you think happened to Isabel's job at the grit? 19% of you said she left on her own accord. 31% of you said she was fired because of something with Ben. And 50% of you said something else. Then I said, tell me more, but no one had really elaborated. I wish someone did. Like, what was the something else? Could it be something to do with her past and like her sleepwalking? Um, I don't know. I am leaning towards she was fired because of something with Ben or she had to leave because of something with Ben, something like that. That's what I'm thinking. And then I asked, do you trust Waylon, the podcaster? 35% of you said yes. 65% of you said no. I don't think we can trust him either. I think it's weird that he got paired up with her on the plane. I think he seems like kind of like a stalker obsessed fan. That's what I'm thinking. Then I just asked you guys if you had any more 
random thoughts, give them here. And a lot of you had something to say. The first one is, um, it's hard to listen to as a mama. I cannot imagine. So true. I'm not a mom, but I hope to be a mom one day. And I can only imagine having how just devastating and just maddening it would be to have my baby stolen from me right under my own nose in my own home and then have people think that I had something to do with it and just having it be like a normal night, a normal morning. And she's like, what if I had just gotten the batteries for the baby monitor? What if I had just shut the window and the mom guilt that comes along with all of that? There's such a bigger conversation to be had there, but truly cannot imagine it. And then someone said, I just feel like Isabel did something she doesn't remember. So true. I think that's where it's leading us, especially with Mason. But I think that if it comes out that she did kill her sister Margaret while she was sleepwalking or something like that, then it's not going to happen again. But maybe Waylon's going to make her feel like she did something. I don't know. That's just another theory that I'm thinking about. Another one said Isabel was sleepwalking and something happened. Exactly. My friend Alex said something with Waylon. Yeah, can't trust Waylon. Very weird. Very weird guy. Someone else said she was sleepwalking and drowned him or Ben did something to him. Yeah, can't trust the husband. We have not really talked enough about Ben. Um, I'm not getting good vibes from him at all. He was married when he kissed Isabel. Um, not that, I mean, he didn't kiss Isabel, she kissed him, but still second marriage. Um, he left right away. He's with someone new, can't trust him and don't trust him. And then last one said there is way more to the story than she is telling. So a lot of people aren't trusting Isabel is what I'm getting. Even if she didn't necessarily mean to kill Mason, a lot of people are maybe suspecting her a little bit. So, oh my gosh, there is just so much going on here. So much to discuss. And I feel like we're only going to get more confused and more theories in the next chunk. But that is all I want to talk about for today. This was such a fun episode to record. Thank you guys so much for listening as always. And be sure to check out my Instagram. I will be posting a full um, reading schedule for um, all the dangerous things this week because I had someone comment that it's hard to kind of like go back through the highlight, my podcast highlight and see what we're supposed to be reading up to each week. So I'm going to post something about that this week. So just be sure to watch out for that. But just as a reminder for next week's episode, which will be out next Monday, you should be up to chapter 31, which if you are reading along in the book of the month hardcover edition, that's page 161. Um, but again, just read up to chapter 31 for next week's episode. And be sure to be following me at Grace's Reading Nook because I'll be posting a lot of polls this week again to get you guys' thoughts on the book. So many of you guys were active on those this week. So thank you guys again so, so much. And that is all for today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed. And again, be sure to follow me this week for more info and more news. And I will talk to you all in next week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you guys soon. Bye. Some of the best content for kids is both entertaining and educational. And with 5 for 5 Trivia, not only do kids get to learn from each week's brand new theme, they also get to challenge themselves by playing trivia. A Parents' Choice Foundation Silver Award winner, this fast-paced trivia podcast is perfect for kids ages 6 to 12. It's released five times a week, so it's a quick addition to your daily routine and a fun challenge to get five out of five right on trivia topics like animal sounds, time travel, fictional ghosts, and underwater exploration. So get your high fives warmed up and check out Five for Five Trivia, available wherever you listen to podcasts.